0: We are community. Originally from Florence, a city in central Italy, Stefano Duke, I am going to ask him to pronounce it correctly, is an Italian writer who digs beneath the surface of Italian society to share about the diversity that exists within the country. He's also not shy about shining a light on the challenges for those who don't fit some people's perceptions of who is Italian. With family origins from Mauritius, an island nation in the Indian Ocean, approximately 2,000 kilometers off the southeast coast of Africa, I'm looking forward to learning more about Stefano and his journey as an Afro-Italian citizen. He's sharing his gifts as a writer and activist, making his mark in Italy and the rest of the world. Greetings and welcome. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, everyone. And Good morning from Italy. <laughs> good morning. How do you say good morning from Italy and Italian? Buongiorno a tutti da, da Firenze.
1: Grazie per avermi invitato.
0: Ah, okay. I kind of understood that. Sounds a little like Spanish. <laughs> and then to say your name correctly, how do you say your name?
1: So my first name would be pronounced as Stefano. So the accent on the first. Syllable, you know, Stefano, not Stefano. Okay. Stefano. And my last name, well, here in Italy, they pronounce it Duke, mm-hmm. but maybe all the French speaking listeners will pronounce it Duke. Well, it's a French surname. I see.
0: Uh, it means Duke in French. Stefano Duke. I love that accent. <laughs> so, how are you? I'm doing quite good, I
1: should say. There have been lots of uh, ups and downs lately,
2: okay,
1: but I guess I kind of managed the moments where everything was you know a bit down, or maybe I should say I survived.
0: <laughs> now, is this in your own life or just within the country?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, I should say, well, first of all, in my own life, let's say I'm struggling with let's say with a personal issue that I've been dragging behind me for quite some time I should say Mm -hmm. but hopefully and thank God I'm trying to sort everything out you know I don't know if you're familiar with Italian politics or European politics in general
0: a little I've been spending most of the last three years in Sweden Mm. so I know the shifts that are happening yes so
1: let's say that last September Italy had undergone the same type of political shift as Sweden. Maybe even worse, because we've been having far-right political parties in government since the 90s, mm. but this time, they are in charge. They are in government. They're here, and they're starting to do extreme, bring mean, far-right things,
0: post-fascist things. So, we'll see. <laughs> Have you noticed any changes in your everyday life? In my everyday life? Personally, things have gotten worse.
1: So, for example, since the early 2000s, you've been having this discourse of saying, well, Mussolini's regime also did something good.
2: Mm.
1: There's also this xenophobic, racist discourse. Well, actually, it has become mainstream. Even in small talk with friends, even within the, the LGBT community, really? you can feel that there is this xenophobia, even racism. I mean, it has always been there. But the thing is that people feel maybe more free to see it mm-hmm. explicitly. And of course, they will say, oh, you know, you're not like um,
0: You're different.
1: Yes. At least for me, the change mainly consists in that, that they would actually tell me things that are racist in front of me and then they would make up this kind of excuse saying yeah but you're not like those immigrants coming on boats you're italian yeah but in general things are starting to becoming a little bit worrying for women freedom of expression maybe
0: thank you for sharing that sounds similar to the US of course we have the last president. And that, at least for me, was a wake-up call that, as you mentioned, it's always been there. Our parents' generation maybe saw the end of that, and now our generations are seeing that, oh, this is still here. Mm, it is. And quite
1: frankly, it's sad. But the good thing, at least in Italy, it's a wake-up call for people like us, for the younger generation, mm-hmm. I have a lot of, maybe I'm expecting a little bit too much from the younger generations, but still, I'm really thankful for having that generation, you know, the Gen Z and whoever is coming after them. Well, also for myself, because us millennials as well, we are like, we're not just sitting around and just waiting. We've been preparing for that in a certain way. We've already started, you know, doing activism and mm-hmm. we're going in global warming anti-racism, trans-feminism, and social rights, all those issues regarding work and professional life and mental health as well.
0: It's great to hear there's still a lot of fight and most of us. Do you currently live in Florence? I do. I came back in
1: Florence two years ago, because before I was living in Barcelona. And I came back in Florence, yeah, two years ago. My father was not feeling very well. He has had um, quite a a difficult and serious health issue. I was the only one close enough to go and take care of him because my mother at that time was in Mauritius and my sister actually lives in Australia.
0: Oh, well, very international.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've been very international, fortunately and unfortunately as well. I see. Anyways, yes, I came back in Florence two years ago. Also because, well, Florence for me is home. Lots of things happened there in Barcelona. I split up with my boyfriend and other personal issues.
0: How long were you in Barcelona? Yeah, one year and a half. How many languages do you speak?
1: <laughs> I actually speak five languages. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so Italian, French, English. I speak Spanish, but it's not very good, at least not as good as I
0: wish it were. And Creole, Mauritian Creole. So is Creole like what I think of in the States, Louisiana, where it's a mixture of French and other languages?
1: I've heard about that Creole. I've never heard anyone speaking it. But yes, I mean, I've read something about it. Not very much. What you should know is that The Creole that's spoken in the Indian Ocean, Mm -hmm. it's quite different from the Creoles that are spoken in the Caribbean. There was this very interesting conversation I had with one of my sister's friends, who was from Guadeloupe, an island on the French Caribbean. He said, okay, let's try this. I'm going to say something in in my Creole, and then you're going to say something in yours, and we will just figure out whether we understand each other. And I said, Okay. And the result was that I could understand 40% of what he was saying, and he could understand like 50, 60% of what I was saying. So,
0: okay. I'm in England right now, and we speak the same language, but in some ways we don't. When I'm here, because words are different and the accents I don't always pick up on, like the other day I was waiting for the bus. And the woman looked English or white, but my ear heard something that sounded like Chinese. And then she turned to this young couple who spoke back to her in English. I said, Oh my God, it's her accent. I don't understand her because of her accent. Oh. And then the words, words that we use in American English mean something completely different in British English. Like Annie in American English is like your bum, you're behind. Mm-hmm. But in British English, I found out it means a woman's vagina. Oh, no. So I have to remember that. I have to remember those things. Well, I actually work in a contact center and we normally deal with traffic
1: tickets. And on the other end, most of them are people who live abroad and interact very often with people from the United States and from the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not a native speaker of English, so I do have some difficulties in understanding maybe accents or... Maybe when people stop speaking very fast. When someone from Britain calls,
0: I'm always worried. Well, from an American perspective, you speak five languages. I speak English. (laughs) I know some Spanish. I know some Swedish. And I took French for four years when I was younger. Okay. However, you know, in America, we only speak English. I bow down to you. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, so. I just want to start off with more recent things. I was on your social media, on your Twitter, and you posted, I translated it on Google, so I don't know if it's correct. It was a video, it looked like a rally or some celebration. From what I can gather, it says, tonight I feel proud to be African too. What was that about?
1: Oh, well, it was about Morocco's national team, Well, Morocco's football national team, uh, who actually... Won over Portugal in the current World Cup in Qatar. They are the first ever African team to go in a semi-final. I mean, I'm not a big supporter of football in general, but I actually follow the very international competition. So the World Cup, the European tournament, I can't find the word in English you know, where you have your own national team playing against others. Mm-hmm. By the way, Italy won the recent.
0: Yes, I was actually here when that happened. We had a
1: great, great moment. That was something. But yes, Morocco won. It was something. Like, I was shopping downtown. You know, I just watched my phone and saw the news and I was like, wow, I just can't believe that. Mm-hmm. There were these girls of Moroccan origin by the way, here in Italy we have uh, quite a large Moroccan community, especially in, in Milan, in northern Italy. So, yes, they were starting running and waving their flags, etc. And I was really, really hyped. So I went inside that shop close to the cathedral.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was talking to the saleswoman, and then at a certain point we started hearing like fireworks, etc. And mm-hmm. we looked at each other and she said, What's going on? And I said, I think it's because they're celebrating for Morocco's victory. And I said, okay, I have to be there. <laughs> I just grabbed whatever I had to buy and paid for it and just brushed it aside. And I was there. I was on the square right in front of the cathedral. Mm. There were lots of people celebrating, cheering. And then I realized that, yes, I'm proud to be African. I am African and I'm proud of that. And I'm saying I'm an African because I'm also Mauritian. So I have both nationalities, both citizenship. I mean, there's music, there's my family's history, my country's history as well. Maybe it's because of my other country, which in a certain way rejects my other identity. The fact of being Black, of being of African descent, many people have a problem with that. So living that moment in my home country since I was born was saying, "Yeah, well, you have to integrate, you have to assimilate. African is not good. Black is not good, et cetera, et cetera. You say, you know, well, in your face, (laughs) (laughs) we made it. Can you just imagine, like, Morocco just sent home Spain and Portugal, so two former colonial powers. It's a wonderful
0: world, (laughs) it's
1: it's a dream.
0: One of the things that I'm learning for myself, just being outside of my home country where I'm treated as a foreigner too, in a lot of ways, is that a lot of people of European descent do not realize how much media is saturated with their history, their cultures. So it's a normal for them. Mm. It's a big deal when you express like Morocco winning, because we don't see that all the time. No, we don't see that. It was in 2020,
1: Netflix aired this show, an Italian one, called Zero. It's about this black young boy who lives in one of the neighborhoods in Milan, the furry, let's say, suburbs. Mm. So that young boy who lives in the area and has some supernatural powers.
2: Mm, okay.
1: It was like, okay, it's positive And I'm thankful for that because I can actually maybe relate more to the story that's being told because the main character looks like me. Right. And in Italy, we didn't have that like at all until very recently when Morocco won against Spain. All the Moroccan communities in Italy were celebrating. In Verona, which is extreme north Italy, mm-hmm. there was this attack against the Moroccan community who was celebrating. There were apparently neo-fascists who actually attacked a core of this Moroccan family. The vehicle was running and they just popped out with some chains and just broke the windscreen of the vehicle. Mm. They also attacked a woman. So yes, so celebrating and cheering was important also for that.
0: On your Twitter bio, you state that you're a queer, anti-capitalist and Mm anti-fascist. Yeah. Can you explain? I use the word queer because it's easier to say
1: queer instead of LGBTQ+. I'm more pragmatic as a person I do understand that it has a more political connotation by saying that you're queer in a certain way you are challenging the current patriarchal heteronormative society since I'm very I'm not going to say radical I want to challenge those concepts and interpretations that I've learned I want to get rid of them because to be honest they don't make me feel happy about myself. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I'm going to say that I am queer as much as I can to challenge that. And anti-capitalist. Well, for me, I mean, I want to live in a world where there's no poverty, especially inequality, no social privilege, and especially no type of social injustice on your workplace and when you need access to services like public health and public education, Mm -hmm. the labor market, and of course, climate change. The capitalistic system brought us to the global warming and et cetera. So if you want to get rid of that, you need to be anti-capitalist.
0: I've heard some people say, oh, there's no intentional system of discrimination or racism or poverty, but I don't think it's an accident that every country I visit there's a population that usually have a similar background and they're always pushed to the outside. It's definitely true. I mean, when I was in Spain, not only
1: were black and brown and Arab communities, Mm -hmm. but also the Roma people in Italy as well. And by the way, they are treated even worse than ourselves.
0: Okay.
1: But yes, you're right when you say that. Each country has its own marginalized and oppressed minority. And most of the time, capitalism has something to do with that. And anti-fascist, well, as an Italian who believes in our constitution, I must be anti-fascist. To define yourself as an Italian, you need to be anti-fascist. I'm talking about the 20th century, what happened. If our country is what it is now, with its positive traits, like Freedom, the fact that we cherish our culture, our nature, our buildings, our artists, most of all. It's also because we have a constitution that clearly says that Italy is a democratic country, Repubblica Democratica, fondata sul lavoro. So the Italian Republic is a democratic republic founded on labor, Mm -hmm. meaning on the dignity that labor gives you as a human being. That's also why for us, Everything related to labor, to work, is very important because work dignifies us in a certain sense. I mean, our constitution was born from the resistance to the fascist regime, very democratically, by the way.
0: I hear a lot of knowledge, a lot of intelligence, definitely your knowledge of history. What's your educational background? I was born here in Italy, but I grew up here and in Mauritius as well. So that's
1: why, for example, I don't have an Italian accent when I speak English or French. Maybe that's why I'm able maybe to see things happening here with a certain distance or maybe from a different eye. I didn't grow up fully here. So yes, I did my uh, high school education in Mauritius. Mm, okay. And then I came back here in Florence and I majored in foreign languages. And then I went to Denmark. I know you've been there.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I went to Denmark in Olbo to do a Master's in Culture, Communication and Globalisation. So for one year in Denmark, and then I moved to France for six months oh, wow. in Nantes. I did an internship there in the radio station. And then I came back to Italy. And that's when I started to be more involved on a political level. So I joined up a small Quite a grassroots political party, which I left one year later. Yes, my political and social activism started in 2015.
0: You're truly a citizen of the world. I'm trying to. Yeah, why not? I love traveling. You said 2015 in Denmark. It's funny you brought that up because that was my first time coming to Scandinavia And I remember I was out sightseeing and I was standing next to this family and I was just kind of looking on my phone for directions. And all of a sudden, I was like, why am I understanding some of their conversation? And then I started to pay attention and I'm like, no, it's not Spanish. Oh, it's Italian. (laughs) And then that's when I realized that some of the words are similar. Extremely. In fact,
1: I've been having a hard time learning Spanish because they're really similar. So you end up being, overconfident, and that's when you make the worst
0: mistakes. It's the beauty of language. You know, I discovered you in your September 2020 article in Il Grande Colibri. Il Grande Colibri,
1: yes. That's one of the charities I I volunteer in.
0: Yeah, I discovered that article titled I'm Black, Gay, and Italian, and I'm Ready to Be Myself, which is a great title. But when did you begin this process of accepting who you are? (laughs) <laughs> that
1: was a very strong affirmation i should say when i wrote it it was liberating and i had some trouble even even myself in believing that because accepting both identities like being black and being gay for me has been a complicated to say the least so it was 2020 we were right after the first lockdown here in europe a little bit before George Floyd's murder. And personally it was in a period of where I was moving on from my former relationship. So I was more in the mood of say, okay, I want to do something for myself. I want to affirm myself. I was at home all the time. So I started like reading a lot. I was a lot on Twitter, for example. I was looking for LGBTQ plus related news, but maybe close to what my conception of the world is. So I found the Grand Equilibri. Here in Italy, we call ourselves second-generation migrants, which is incorrect because we're not migrants, but still, it's a term that has been forged by the media. So um, second-generation queer people to share their own history and experience. And I said, well, I like writing and I have time, so why not? And that's how this article started. But yes, it has been a very long journey. I accepted my homosexuality in, I think, around 16 years old, Mm -hmm. even though I was very aware since I was a child that I was different at every level. I'm black, I'm gay, and I'm lefty. (laughs) (laughs) As I always
0: put it as a joke, I tend to collect flaws, so... Uh, (laughs) Of course, I'm joking. No, 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 I get what you mean, yeah. I interviewed somebody recently who's originally from Nigeria, lives in the States, and he said something, and you're putting it in a similar way, that James Baldwin, the American author, said. I found a clip of James interviewed back in the 60s or 70s where he was asked, I don't know what the question was, but he goes, it's a gift that I'm Black and I'm gay. I say, thank you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm trying to understand that as well, Yeah, because it hasn't been that way for a very long time. Growing up in a country like Italy as a kid, in the 90s, in a city that's quite provincial, even though it boasts itself as having this very long communist tradition, so left-wing, open, tolerant or whatever. I mean, the racism was still there. My mother could tell you, Lots of stories, everyday racism she had gone through. It's there in the article. The very first time I was made aware that I was black and that my blackness was not wanted here it was that day when an old woman called my mother, my sister, and myself the N word on a bus. And I was five years old. I still live it as a trauma. It is. Mm. And then I discovered I was gay. Well, of course, I always had an attraction for boys, et cetera. But I started understanding, that of course, it was something, you know, unwanted as well and negative at school for being called names and then bullied, sexually harassed as well.
0: Really? Yeah. Even though publicly people were saying that being gay was bad. I was in Mauritius, but probably it would
1: have been the same here in Italy as well. It was the early 2000s, yeah. Something was starting to change here in Europe, but not everywhere else,
2: so... Right.
1: Yeah. For all of these reasons, I was in the closet, and then when I came back here in Italy for university, I came out, I mean, I came out with my friends, not with my family. This also has to do with the fact that I had some trouble putting together these two things, so that's why for a very long time, I kept my friends away from my family and my family away from my friends. Mm. And that's a very big mistake I made. And I'm conscious that I hurt myself, first of all, by doing that.
0: I think a lot of us go through that in various ways. Definitely with family, I know my experience was like, well, they disown me. Mm. I do remember the story of the woman on the bus. You didn't say it, but I'll say it. It's sinister that an adult could say something so hurtful to children, to anybody, mm. but you know, you and your sister, two completely innocent beings. This person, uh, it really bothers me. And talking about it's a trauma, I'm starting to say that racism is a trauma. That's not something I came up with. It's something I read. People don't realize that you're absorbing this negative energy, sometimes daily, mm. and how you have this... Emotional system, hopefully, that is to the best of its ability trying to flush out this hostile energy.
1: And it takes a lot of energy as well, you know, just to flush it out. You know, just wasting time and you're wasting your own energy when you can do something else. But here we are. You're always in a situation where we need to fight constantly, or just to build this type of screen or, or wall or just some kind of layer. To say, okay, I'm at home now, so I'm 100% safe. I need to go out to do some grocery shopping or to go to work or to school. So I need to prepare (laughs) mentally because something can just happen. Or I can just hear something that's being said very randomly by someone who doesn't even think it could hurt someone, but it's there.
0: So I need to prepare for that. You describe it beautifully. You describe it so, so beautifully. Yeah, I, I can't even add to that. But I'll just say, especially when I was living in LA, and I noticed it here too. You know, you have your list, I got to go to the store, I want to buy a new pair of trousers, you know, whatever. And then you get out, I'm walking, and then I see a white lady and I see her look at and then I'm like... <laughs> today (laughs) (laughs) not today's
2: age and (laughs) why i don't
0: need that energy i was so focused on what i needed to do but it's like you said i have to
2: yeah
0: i think these last couple years especially i think a lot of us are becoming aware of what how you describe it i have to put on an armor Mm -hmm. to do a simple task like go get some milk yes it's true and it's the same thing online like when
1: i go on on that famous app, which I'm not not going to say the name, but I guess, you know. Not give
0: them space. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I know what you mean. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah. And it's the same. Like, It really bothers me when I am on that app for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then the second question is like, okay, where you are and what's your position?
2: Yes.
1: But normally the second question I get It's not what's your position or where do you live? What are your origins? Ah, okay. Yes. Because apparently here in Italy, the origins of a racialized person really matters, even though if it's for... You understand what that sign means?
0: I I think so. We welcome everyone here, families and such, but I'm guessing that means fucking.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. (laughs) So we have a gesture to indicate whatever. Okay.
1: Anyways. Currently, yes. Origins are very important. It's really important for someone to know the origins of a racialized person, even you know, if it's for ham, ham, Right, right. Quite frankly, it's annoying, at least for me. I mean, I've put up with that and many things in the LGBTQ plus queer community in Italy. But quite frankly, I'm a bit fed up with that. With that and other things. The fact that I need to say, you know, yes, I'm Italian, because that's the answer. The answer that they look for is, yes, I am Italian, but my parents are from Mauritius, Morocco, Brazil, Senegal, you name it. And that's something that people from abroad need to understand. Uh, I do realize that abroad, there's this idea of Italy not being a racist country like the United States or Germany or Northern Europe. Mm -hmm. Italy is racist in the sense that for the Italian culture, family is very important, okay? Mm -hmm. Especially with your father's family. Italy is very patriarchal. This implies that what matters the most is who your family is with and who your father is family with. That's how you get your citizenship. Unlike the United States, for instance, In Italy, we have the Jus San Vinis. So the citizenship is passed through blood, not through the place you're born. I see. Okay. Since my parents are foreigners, I had to, for example, wait until I turned 18 to get Italian citizenship. Okay. So I had to wait until I turned 18, just like millions of other people. But I'm still considered as a stranger because I'm black and because my father is not Italian. In order to make all of this make sense for the Italian culture, they need to understand where I really come from, because it's not possible for a black person, a black or brown, or someone from Chinese descent to be Italian.
0: Like, who are you? That conversation's been coming up here in the UK recently. Mm Friends here that are Black have shared similar stories because something came out publicly recently. But I go back to the institution of racism. It's the same in the U.S., you know. I've had people in Sweden who are Black say people assume they're American because most people are used to Black Americans Mm -hmm. in media. But within the country, you can still get asked where you're from, even though there's a history that goes back generations. I've had experiences where people are like, oh, where are you from? It's like, oh, I'm originally from Arizona. But where is your family from? Oh, my mother's from Oklahoma. Her family, my dad's family's from New York. But where are they from? Do you know what they mean? Yeah. I like your title of acceptance of yourself because now that gives me the courage to say, well, where are you from? Yeah, it's true. And sometimes I do reply in that way.
1: Do you know the show, uh, I'm really bad in remembering titles, that show with uh, Michaela. Oh, Michaela Cole. She's from England. Yes, Michaela Cole. Sorry, sorry. And she made that show about this woman, you know, about the genocide in Rwanda. So she was adopted. Do see it. It's really good. And there's okay. this scene where she's in France. There's this white Frenchman asking her, Where are you from? And she says, I'm from London. And he says, Yes, but where are you really from? And she says, It's brilliant from a
0: happy marriage
2: oh <laughs> and she said yes 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 yes
0: <laughs> thank you
1: i Praise love much. that <laughs> and i started saying that and i said saying, well sometimes they prefer an unhappy marriage just to say you know it's a bad history i don't want to talk about my past my mother met my father they fell in love and that's it
0: there you go <laughs> put it back on them i love that wow if we could just stay on this topic of race a little bit longer. Yes. Another piece that I read from, I feel so wrong saying this to you in your native tongue. No, but you're really saying good. You're Say
1: it the right way.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, another piece that I read from Il Grande Colibri is your September 2021 article titled Being Black and Poor in the Gay Adult Industry Between Racism and Change. First of all, thank you for writing this. Because my perception has always been that I believe most Black gay porn is not performed for Black gay men. Just based on what you shared about dating, especially on these apps these days, and I've had similar experiences. What did you discover in interviewing the adult film actors like D'Angelo Jackson and others in writing this piece?
1: Well, it was a bit challenging for me to do that, I should say. First of all, because I was like interviewing celebrities. So, <laughs> so uh, yes. And then I must admit, I come from a very quite conservative, sexophobic culture, cultures, both Mauritian and Italian. So talking about sex, I was a bit afraid, you know, of saying maybe the wrong thing, which actually did happen. When I actually said, well, do you feel some kind of responsibility when, you perform some type of roles and uh, etc. And he said, "No, I don't think I do do these type of things." And yeah, but quite honestly, it was somewhat liberating because at the end of the interview, I realized that on the other end there is another black gay man like myself who is actually more courageous in a certain sense because you know by rewatching the movies in which he's in etc. I just said, "Well." Maybe I was a bit wrong when I asked that question because when he was having sex and engaging with the other person, be that other person black or white or brown or Latino, there was that other side that you normally don't see in those roles where black gay men are accosted in You know, the mainstream gay porn. Yeah. There is sweetness, there is tenderness, there's humanity, I should say. So if D'Angelo is listening well thank you for that
0: (laughs) thank you for your honesty because you gave me the courage to even ask the question because when I saw the article and I read it I've had the thought for years and I've had the questions for years but similar to what you just shared I come from a family that didn't talk about sex you doing your example of writing this piece helped me to say I don't want to ask this question because then people will know I watch porn it's like, well. How old are you? (laughs) Everyone does. (laughs) You think they're going to be shocked? (laughs) So thank you for that. And thank you for your honesty around that. And I think that question is one that I had too. I've questioned these roles sometimes, like what you talked about, the intimacy and the tenderness. A friend and I years ago mentioned this, a Black friend. It seems like that's lacking in a lot of films where Black men are having sex. I don't like it because it feels very aggressive. Mm. Not joking, but from a research perspective, and it's like, let me just find out if there's any scene or role where these guys kiss and you rarely see it. That's true. Oh my God, that's true. You're right. Or the use of the N-word.
1: It's always about you have this dominant top who says, yeah, I get this and you're that. Yeah. I... Would get up and leave if somebody. <laughs> yeah, when I was doing that interview, which was written, I didn't get to talk to that person. So while doing the interview and writing down the questions and maybe rereading the answers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I was in a certain way. I was questioning my own views, my own perception of what a black gay man should be and how he should love, how he should have sex. I already knew, but it came really clearly right in front of me that. I had the same biased point of view or sexual fantasy as my white peers. So, BBC, which is not the British Broadcasting Corporation.
0: (laughs) I'm going to have to steal that one from (laughs)
1: you. Yeah, the BBC and the guy from The Hood. Yeah, they're all from The Hood. (laughs) Always. At the end, I was like, So why are you even mad at these white guys who just write you on those apps and asking you, so how many centimeters is
0: your? Well, that leads me to ask, how do you feel that porn that features Black actors, do you think it's affected your dating life? A lot, because, for instance, here in Italy, at least on the media,
1: the diversity of the queer community is not fully represented or sometimes it's not represented at all. So there's this misconception that all gay men are white. And if there is any racialized person in a queer space, it has to be an escort. That person is an escort. So that's why when I was younger, frequently I would have those random men writing to me, asking me for my price, how much. And then when with my hookups, I wanted to, you know, engage more in a more like more serious relationship, not necessarily being a boyfriend or whatever, but just more serious, getting to know each other, I was turned out. It's not something I've been told explicitly, but I could feel it. I could feel it by comparing myself to my white friend, for instance. Mm-hmm. Some of his hookups ended up like dating once or twice or maybe four times. While for me it never happened. I understood it even more clearly when I went to live in Denmark or in France or in Spain. Actually, most of my boyfriends are from either Spain or from Germany. I mean, I actually had a romantic life abroad, not at home. I never had an Italian boyfriend. Let's put it that way. I've dated someone. I mean, I can count it on my fingers. But most of my dating life, intended as romantic, It has always happened abroad, so in Denmark, in France,
0: or in Spain. I always say entertainment educates.
1: I was listening to that episode with Sean Wallace. Oh, yeah, Sean. He said something that I will cherish in my entire life. He said that your personal sovereignty does not lie solely in your sexuality. I think that if a black gay man told me, another black gay man, that when I was in my 20s, maybe I would have solved a big part of my actual
0: issues. It's a reminder of us just having conversations and finding out that I'm not the only one.
2: Yeah.
0: And then stories like what you're sharing is like, oh, I'm not the only one.
1: And actually I discovered that last year I participated in this roundtable talk that was organized by the project called My Black Queer Blackness, My Queer Black Queerness. It has been created by Jordan Anderson, who is a Jamaican fashion mogul, editor, who lives in Italy. And that project is about shining a light on the Italian Black queer experience here in Italy. Maybe you might want to interview him.
0: Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah,
1: He's doing a really great job for our community here in Italy. To my knowledge, that's the only one organization focused on Black and queer identity. However, Coli grande Colibri focuses a lot, let's say, on the experience of racialized queer people here in Italy, especially migrants and, of course, you know, second generation Italians. But in general, we are starting to see more racialized, queer people in queer spaces, so charities and organizations. Here in Florence, I'm actually volunteering in a queer charity called Love My Way, which is more for Gen Z people. Here in Italy, there has been this, let's say, interest about that type of identity, racialized identity, so Arab, Black and Brown and whatever, Mm -hmm. since... George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement. It was right about time. Yeah. The main issue for us racialized people is the citizenship, changing from you sanguine to you solace or something that dignifies people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For many people, it's just a matter of, you know, okay, it's something formal. I mean, you're Italian. Why are you crying? Do understand that it's really humiliating Having to wait until you're 18 to be recognized by your home as a full citizen when you grew up here and you were born here, it really affects you. the way you perceive yourself.
0: It really influences the way you see ours. I didn't realize I was American until I left America. Mm. Because in America, I'm the Black guy. But here in Europe, all oh, the American over there. And it took me a while to go. Oh. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> All right, I'm American. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard myself called American before in my home country. When did you realize you're Italian? Um,
1: I would say when I went to Mauritius the first time. So I was a kid. I didn't remember if it was about food or about the way people spoke to each other. But yeah, just when I was abroad. Yeah, definitely when I was abroad. I felt more Italian. And then I realized that I was black and gay and Italian, the three things at the same time. When there was this, the first racist shooting in Italy that happened in Florence, that was in 2011. There was this racist guy who was quickly dubbed by the media as mentally disordered, who just shot two Senegalese citizens. Mm close here by the way that's when i realized that i made a really big mistake by putting these three identities apart because at the end of the day i mean they killed two black men i'm a black man right when they attack a gay couple and it regularly happens here in italy i'm affected and when italy loses to i don't remember which national team and We couldn't make it to this World Cup. Well, I
0: was pissed as well, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. You brought up Mauritian heritage. What are some unique uh, cultural aspects of Mauritius?
1: Oh, well, first of all, I would say the multiculturality. Mauritius is a melting pot. It's just like the United States, because it was a completely desert island. No one was living there. People came in. Depending on whether you were a slave or not. Okay. So, for example, myself, I do have African descent, more specific from Madagascar, but I also have Indian descent and European descent as well, because every country that had slavery on its own territory, well, there was a lot of raping, right? Right. So, yes. So, I'm a mixture myself. So, I would say that yes, multiculturality, and then. The fact of learning several languages. I remember that at school there were classes of Hindi, or Urdu. These are Indian languages. And then I would say smiling. Us Mauritians, we smile a lot. Like we don't have to say hello when we just see someone on the street.
0: How nice. And that's
1: when I realized that I was also Italian because here in Italy, it's like, no, you just say hi, hello, ciao, wanna say whatever. Uh-huh. But no, in Mauritius, no, you just like nod with the head and then smile.
0: What is the food like? The cuisine?
1: The Mauritian cuisine is very mixed. You do feel that there's some India, some Africa, and some Europe, and some China as well. For example, the main dish would be this. So you have white rice and. Some curry. And for us, curry is in sauce. So it could be fish curry, but also gugai which is basically a sauce made of tomato and meat and really spicy, of course. Mm, yeah. <laughs> now, and then uh, in most families you would eat also yani, which is a really Indian dish, made of rice and spices, and yeah. Every Mauritian mom knows how to make fried noodles. It's like a must.
0: Fried noodles. Yes. Okay. Oh, that sounds good too. <laughs>
1: You're not a proper Mauritian housewife. You don't know how to make that roti, which is these Indian pancakes, and l'adobe poisson. L'adobe poisson is how can I explain that? Poisson is fish. It's a really Creole thing. It's fish cooked in a lot of onion, garlic, and ginger, and tomato sauce.
0: All
1: mm. the spices. I don't remember the recipe, but it's good as F.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have some homework to do and book that as a travel destination because all that sounds really good. <laughs> it is. It is. For me, it's really good because it's it's a mixture.
1: Like you really feel that everyone put something from his or her own culture. But I also come from another culinary tradition, which is the Italian one, which, well it's another chapter. So we'll
0: leave that for another. Yes, (laughs) very much so. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on this platform and sharing so many nuggets of wisdom. And I I sense your joy, I sense your passion, your intelligence, your commitment to loving yourself and then through loving yourself, spreading that out to the rest of the world. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me and I'm really honoured, Eric, for this invitation because spaces like this one are much needed because loving oneself is not easy. It's even more difficult for us Black queer people or racialized queer people to start that journey because it's a journey at the end. I should be the one to thank you, Eric, and thanks to, to all these people who have been on this platform before me and they've been of great help to me and I guess to other people. So thanks to all of you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And you're part of the community now. So <laughs> I forgot to ask you have you written for other publications? No,
1: I haven't. I've written when I was doing my internship in France for the website of the radio station. Apart from Le Grand Colibri and
0: uh, Le Radio Nantes, the radio station, no, I haven't Not yet. <laughs> I found you on Twitter, but where else can we find you online? mainly on instagram
1: so my username is stefano duke you just see me yeah so i'm on twitter and on instagram i don't have facebook since
0: 2016 so yes i'm told facebook is for the older folks Um,
1: (laughs) you say that
0: (laughs) some would allude i'm part of that generation and i will not confirm or deny (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at @BLKGayDiaspora. Until next time.